This is very nostalgic. How many of you were here uh, when we first started the church over here? Yeah? Kind of nostalgic. I was, I was talking to Colleen. I was like, was there a stage here or something? I don't, I'm trying to remember. And then, and then it cut across that side. I don't know. But it was kind of nostalgic for me. Um, pretty cool. And then Colleen reminded me like, oh, if it was super nostalgic, we would be sweating in the cafeteria right now. And that was super hot. Uh, so we're really, you know, yeah, it's really a blessing to be here in Hirata Hall, especially as we enter summer and it's getting hot. Uh, so this is great. Um, so yeah, I, I get to uh, open the series. Uh, it's a six-week series called You'll Get Through This. If you don't know me yet, I'm Dave Oyatomari Chun. <laughs> and, uh, um, I'm on the teaching team here at, at KCF. Um, it's the book we go through in the, in the small group, hopefully that you're a part of, uh, is written by a guy named Max Lucado. I think you pronounced his name. Uh, and I was flipping through the book in preparation for this series, and I was trying to figure out, like, what is this series going to be about, and what do I tell you guys about it? And essentially it's this, is that we all know, and as Max was, was sharing, we all know that everyone goes through tough times. Um, and because that, we often look to God and say, God, you know, what are we supposed to do in those tough times? And, um, and that's what this series is going to be about. So I'm going to go and share that with you today. I'm going to tee up what this series is going to be about. Um, and I wanted to open by just letting you know that a few weeks ago, I was speaking with someone who's a Christian, and they're going through a really, really tough time right now. I mean, really tough time. And there was a, there's a lot of pain in their life right now. And they're really like just clinging to God with everything they got. I mean, they really are. And they're wondering things. They're, they're, they're sharing with me like, you know, when or if God was, is even going to show up and relieve them of their pain. And, and, you know, they're telling me like, well, you know, there's good days and there's bad days. Um, but overall, um, what really struck me is during the conversation, the term Rock bottom was used. Like, I say, Dave, I, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just at rock bottom. And, uh, you know, some of you may have been there. Maybe some of you are there right now. I, I don't know what your situation is. Or maybe you know someone who is at rock bottom. And it is the hardest thing uh, to know what to say when someone's in this pit of life and they hit rock bottom. And it doesn't feel good enough to tell the person, okay, um, I'll pray for you, right? I mean, it's, it's the right thing to do. We're going to do it. The Bible says to do it. But I don't know if you've been there and either someone who's talking to you and just pouring out everything that's going on in their life, they say like, you know, I'm just at rock bottom. I'm in so much pain. I don't know where God is. And then you, you kind of be like, uh, you know, what do you say, right? Do you, do you just say like, okay, let's pray right now or you know, I'll pray for you, or, you know, it'll get better. I mean, what do you say when someone's at rock bottom? And that's what this series is about. And there's a whole spectrum, if you will, of, from, say, spectrum of bad stuff in your life, from, like, disappointment and, oh, shucks, I wish we really had this happen, to rock bottom. And it's in those moments that I was wondering, how do we respond as Christians without so- sounding so trite, like, okay, we're going to pray for you, or, you know, God will work it out, or, you know, or we quote some verse that we just like, oh, yeah. But I think this series, 
And my prayer is this series is really going to give us something really meaningful and um, that will cut through when someone has hit rock bottom. And that's why if you, if you hopefully you've gotten the book, it says, you know, you'll get through this. It's because truly with God, we do get through this. And who is this series for is the first thing I, I think I wanted to share is it's for the person who's in a pit or has hit rock bottom and doesn't know how to climb out. This series is for someone uh, that you might care about and who's just sharing with you all the stuff going on in their life and you don't know what to say or, or what to do when they're really in so much pain. This series is for um, someone who maybe you're the victim in some ways you might think that you know, you've unjustly be put, been put in a situation where it's just really bad. And I think we've all been there, you know, where, where you hear that something has happened or they put you in some place, you're like, man, that, that was so unfair. Or, you know, you get very defensive. Um, this series is for you. Um, when things get really bad, and I've been there, and I think we all have been there to an extent, this is for the person where you might even be angry at God. You might wonder if God really cares and, and what you're going through. And does God really know the pain you're going through right now? Um, maybe you even question if God even exists. That's what this series, that's who this series is for. And I, I think we can all relate to that in some way. And, and what the series is about is it's some real hard-hitting stuff. I mean, this series is about that life isn't smooth or it's not easy. And, and sometimes I think, uh, especially sometimes you flip the TV on and you might see one of those televangelist guys and, and those guys are, some of those guys are really, really good. But I think you've got to be really careful if you, you're listening to a pastor or a speaker or someone who's trying to tell you that life is going to be all roses, and all you got to do is believe, and then all this great, you know, flowery, prosperous stuff happens, I would just say be very, very careful, because life isn't all that way, and I think the Bible is really clear that life isn't smooth and easy, and all this stuff that everyone has going in their lives is, is so heavy that sometimes we may want to give up, because we've hit rock bottom, uh, and then this series is about hope, because there's a guy in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, named Joseph. And in Joseph's story, he teaches us, and through the, and through the book of Genesis, we, we learn that God is ready, God is willing, and God is able to pull you out of that pit of life. And what something that is really messed up, God turns around for good. And so today... What I want to do is I'm going to share with you some verses that, um, you know, I didn't have time to send it to the, the folks who put the, the bulletins together, um, but you could write it down as I go through it with you because I think these are those verses that if and when you are going through a really, really difficult time um, or someone in your life is going through a really, really difficult time, I think these are going to be the verses that you pull out to remind yourself or you're going to pull these verses out to share with that friend or family member or whoever it might be uh, that no matter how messed up their life is, that God can use it for good. And so um, when you're wondering where is God in all of this, 
these are some of the verses that we're going to go through today. And I'm going to put these verses in, in, in context of the story of Joseph. Okay, so for those of you who want to read along with me, you can. Uh, you want to refresh your memory maybe of the story of Joseph. It begins in, in the book of Genesis, chapter 37. And I'll give you a quick summary of uh, the story of Joseph. So Joseph is one of 12 sons of this guy named Jacob. Uh, his, his name later is called is named Israel. Okay, so you get the idea of who this guy is, right? And he has 12 sons, and Joseph happens to be his favorite son. And he, it's his favorite son, and it's not that it's a secret, but that he's you know, outwardly very known by the other brothers as the favorite. Uh, so uh, Jacob, or Israel, his father, actually creates for him this very ornate robe. Uh, and I can only imagine what this thing must look like, right? But, you know, that, a lot of stuff like that has a lot of symbolism. And he gives it only to his son, Joseph. So you're the other 11 brothers, and you're like, hey, what, man? You know, what, do we chop liver here, you know? And, and how come that, that dude... Your favorite gets this nice robe. Um, and we learn about in, in Genesis 37 that Joseph, at this point in time, is about 17 years old. So he's a teenager. And as I read it, he's a little bit brash, you know? Uh, and, and he's a teenager, right? And, and he, in, in part of the Genesis, I read, like, he kind of rats out his brothers when maybe they're not doing exactly what they're supposed to do. Um, and in fact, he even goes so far as he tells his brothers he has a dream, and in this dream, you guys all bow down to me, <laughs> you know? So you got to imagine this. He's the favorite son. He's got this fancy robe he wears around, reminding everyone that he's the favorite son. So, and then he ha- he's kind of brash, and, you know, he tells, he tells his dad, like, hey, you know what, so-and-so, they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing, you know? And then on top of that, he goes, I had this dream, you guys, and you're all bowing down to me, and you're like, you know, so you can imagine how the brothers feel about this guy, Joseph, right? Um, and so it, it's, it's building up not just animosity or not just sibling rivalry, but it's building up downright hatred of, towards Joseph from his other brothers, okay? So you continue on in Genesis 37, and it says, you know, when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. It's a pretty sad situation. And while out in the fields, tending to the flock, just one day, the brothers are conspiring to kill Joseph. Right? So this is not just, hey, let's play a prank on him. <laughs> you know, let's tie him up and you know, leave him out there or take his clothes and let him run around until he finds home. They want to kill him. That's how much their hatred is. And it wasn't until his eldest brother, this guy Reuben, uh, the firstborn of Jacob, convinces the other brothers, like, yeah, let's not kill him, but let's just throw him into this cistern. Now, I was looking up, like, what are cisterns? And, and back in the biblical days, they used these, uh, like, basically holes in the ground to store fresh water. And they would often cut them out of limestone. And, you know, when I'm reading this stuff, it's like 15 to 20 feet deep. So it, you can't really climb out of that stuff. And it's only about a two to three foot opening. And they often cover it with, like, a stone cover. So so his brothers decide, yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's, 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 throw, let's throw him in that cistern. So they throw him in there, and who knows what they intend to do. Maybe they just leave him in there and hope he just dies or something like that. 
Well, a caravan of merchants come by, and uh, then one of, some of the brothers get the idea, like, say, hey, let's sell Joseph, like, as a slave. That'll teach him, right? And so they think that's a good idea. So several of them get together, and they sell Joseph as a slave. And the merchants who buy Joseph as a slave for, I, I want to say, it was not much money, um, end up selling him to Potiphar, who is the captain of the guards for the pharaoh in Egypt. And the story continues on, and it's a very interesting story, continues on beyond that. Twenty years pass, uh, so a couple of decades, Joseph, long story short, rises to become like the second in command in Egypt. Like he just becomes like one of the head dudes. And people at this point, <clears throat> the, the brothers tell the father that Joseph died. Or they, they try to convince the father that Joseph is dead, his favorite. And so they, everyone thinks he's gone. 20 years pass. They don't understand. They don't know that Joseph has actually become this really powerful guy in Egypt. And a famine has broke out in the land. And Joseph, through just divine intervention, prepares to store up all this grain so that they can survive the famine. And the story goes on where, where Joseph's brothers and his father are, are pretty much having a hard time. They're starving. And so they take what money they have and they, they go to the, they say they're going to go to Egypt and they're going to buy some food. So they go to Egypt and lo and behold, the person who's selling food is Joseph. But the catch of the story is, all right, the brothers don't recognize him because they think he's dead, right? And it's been 20 years. And so they go and then to the, to the brother's surprise, uh, later in the story, they find out that the guy who is the all-powerful guy in Egypt next to Pharaoh himself is the brother that they totally messed up his life, right? They threw him in the cistern. They sold him as a slave. And how the story sort of ends here is that you would imagine that Joseph has the means and the power to just be like, just totally rail into his brothers and, and just take his revenge on them and, and just make them pay and suffer. Instead, what happens is pretty remarkable, is that instead of taking revenge on his brothers, uh, Joseph shows them great mercy, forgiveness, and grace. And he shows them that there's a bigger picture in play than what they intended for harm, God actually intended for good. And that's the story of Joseph. And that's what we're going to cover over these next six weeks. And it's an amazing story. And it's actually, if you haven't read it or you've been reading it in a while, I would encourage you to read it because it's got drama, it's got action, suspense, you know. In fact, I think they made a musical out of it, you know, stuff like that. So uh, it's pretty interesting. Um, and it's also something that we're going to take some lessons learned when we're in the pit of life. And we're going to use that sort of analogy of when Joseph was thrown into the cistern, right, as you know, when we're thrown into a pit of life, how do we deal with that? How do we overcome that? How do we think about that? When Joseph is in there and he's just thinking, where's God? Where's my father? Uh, how am I going to get out of this situation? And then it gets worse in that he's not only in the cistern to die, but he's sold as a slave. So the story of Joseph, <clears throat> to me, is one of the more memorable ones in the Bible. And again, it's in Genesis chapter 37. And as we learn later in Genesis that um, 
when the brothers threw Joseph into the cistern, I want to I make sure that you guys get this visual because when I read this, this isn't like hazing, you know? This isn't like some Greek fraternity hazing. Uh, this isn't fun. This isn't just like, hey, let's play a trick on Joseph. This is serious as in they think this guy, their brother, is going to die. And they're not playing a prank because they intended that he would end his life right there. And we learn in Genesis later on in chapter 42 that the brothers were pretty callous and mean-spirited at this time toward Joseph. Because when they knew, when, he, when they threw him in the cistern, it wasn't like, hey, hey guys, cut, cut it out, cut it out. This isn't funny anymore. No, it was serious. And everyone knew what was going on. Because in Genesis chapter 42, verse 21, um, the brothers, it talks about how the brothers said, you know, we saw how distressed he was. This is Joseph. When he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. And if you read into that, basically they knew how serious this was. They knew that this wasn't a prank. Joseph was pleading for his life. They knew that they were killing him. They knew that they were sentencing him to a death, and he knew that that was going to happen, and that's how serious this was. So, in other words, that cistern that Joseph fell into, was shoved into, was pushed into, was really, the analogy would be for us, there are times in our lives where that's how we feel. We're pleading for our lives. We're thrown into a cistern. Uh, there are times when we just plead God to God and just say, God, you've got to help us because there's so much pain and there's so much suffering right now. I, 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 have no, I don't feel that there's a way out. And life's journey is like that. It's never fully painless. And like Joseph, there's these times or these pits in our lives when we hit rock bottom, when it's unexpected, it's sometimes unfair, oftentimes it can be unfair. There's no way out. It's, it's very painful. We're pleading for our lives, and we just feel like, I'm at rock bottom. I, I, I don't know it can get any worse than this. And it might sound pretty fatalistic, right, or or pretty negative, right? But it's real. And no one lives life without some struggle, and in some cases, pain and suffering. So what I want to do right now is, um, when you or someone close to you is in a cistern or pit of life, we're going to go through what Max Lucado uh, outlines as, he calls it the 50-20 the the principle. And it comes from Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. The 50-20 the principle. And these are three parts of uh, what we'll go through where I'm going to give you some verses where I'm hoping that it will, uh, when you hit that rock bottom, that cistern, that pit in your life, that you'll remember and pull out these verses. And the point of Genesis chapter 50 verse 20 is that no matter how messed up things might be in your life, God will use it for good. No matter how messed up your life is right now, or it might become, God can and will use it for good. And that's how Joseph responds to his brothers some 20 years later, after they threw him in the cistern, sold him into slavery, when it was really meant to end Joseph's life, to just destroy his life, God turns it around for good. And if you read in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, it says, you intended to harm me. And this is Joseph addressing his brothers. You intended to harm me, 
But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And that's the first principle we got to take with us. Because sometimes we're going through so much junk and so much bad stuff that it's hard to see that what is going on right now can possibly be used for good. And it's this principle that will enable us forgiveness, especially to those who meant to do us harm. And this, this is the principle that unlocks hope for a better future no matter how dark the present is today. See, just this past week, I was commiserating with a friend of mine. Uh, we meet weekly about the direction of our society and the, the direction it's going. So the conversation goes like this. You know, we, we talk about like how society is removing God from everything. And I don't know if you guys feel that, but we we're kind of commiserating because we're like, yeah, you know, they're taking God out of our government. They're taking God out of our schools. They're taking God out of our businesses. They're taking God, in many ways, um, out of our families. And, I, and we just are getting so saddened that we're getting almost like angry during this conversation this past week. And as I was praying about for this message and prepare, preparing for this message, uh, I was reminded of this conversation I had this week. Um, I was reminded that, you know, it's, it's tempting sometimes to just focus on saying, hey, this is a spiritual war we're in right now. We're, we're fighting. It's like if there's a color-coded map of God's kingdom territory, one color, and like the bad stuff of the enemy, it's like you have this color-coded map and you get so angry every time you see God removed from something in society that you feel like, man, we're losing the war. We're losing the war. And perhaps you see like the ground we're losing, you just see like, man, where is God in all of this? But then I think about this 50-20 principle. And what the 50-20 principle reminds me that in spite the harm that is intended, God is still in control. In spite of the fact that, God's, that God is being removed from all aspects of our society in many ways, he is still in control. He has a plan. And that whatever bad is happening, God can and will intend it for good. And in the long run, God will use it to save many lives. So let's not lose sight of that. Let's not lose sight that the victory is already God's. It's easy for us, I think, to play the victim. Now, it doesn't mean that we passively, I think, go through life and, and say, we're not going to stand up for the Lord and what's, uh, for what's moral and right in our society, right? No, that's not what I'm saying. It's not like we're saying, okay, well, then let's, let's just let happen what's going to happen. And No, no, that's not what I'm saying at all. In fact, what I'm saying, though, is just the opposite, is when you take the 50-20 rule and that principle in, in really and in, in internalize it, you'll see that what it's saying is even when you see all the bad stuff happening in society, and the Bible talks about this stuff, God is still has a plan. God is still in control. God is still victorious. And so what does that mean for us is that when we realize and acknowledge that our God is sovereign, even when it seems like ground is being lost, I think we need to have an attitude and a behavior of a victor, not a victim. And how different would that be if we behaved and we had a mindset of a victor and not a victim? Because I think it's easy for us 
when we see things happening in the world, to be like, oh, man, look, those Christians are getting persecuted. Oh, look, they're pushing God out. Woe is me. Woe is the church. And I don't think that's where it should be at all. I think it should be that we are on the side of the winning God, that God is victorious in spite of what's happening. And that means that we should walk in with the attitude and the behavior of the victors. And that what does that mean is we got to walk in boldness in our faith, that when we see these things happening, we say, God, I know you're going to win. I know you're going to redeem this situation. How are you going to use me to be victorious, God? Because we know the end is that you win. Versus, man, we're losing. Oh, man, we're losing. Oh, man, oh, man. Because we can just get smaller and smaller in our thoughts and just be like, oh, this is so junk and get very depressed. And I don't think that's where God wants us to be at all. I think God wants us to be bold. And he says, guys, I already won. I already am in control. I just need you to step forward for me. So that's the first thing. Then in faith, I think we need to trust that in spite of the bad things that are happening, right, and the cisterns in our life, and the cisterns, quite frankly, in our societies, that our sovereign God has a plan. And whatever situation that the enemy intends for harm, our God will intend for good. And what would it take, and what would it look like and feel like if we walked around with an attitude as victors instead of victims? That's the first thing. The second thing, second part of this is that we know this. God's plans are better than our plans, right? God's plans are better than our plans. And oftentimes, especially when things are bad and we just can't see any good coming out of the bad situation, we, we just don't get it. And another book in the Bible we can turn to when we or someone we know is looking for some kind of relief in a very bad situation is the book of Job. Now, I got to tell you, the book of Job is a tough one for me, right? And I think it might be for a lot of us because here's a guy who loses his entire family, his health, his wealth. But Job is a person of amazing faith. And we measure the strength of our faith, not when times are good, but when times are really, really bad. And that's when, and when it's hard to see God, and that's when our faith is emboldened. And in Job 42, right, verse 2, this is what Job says. I know that you can do all things, and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. I know that you can do all things. He's talking to God. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. What Job, the book, reminds us is that God is always in control. Even when things seem to be going really, really bad, no plan of God can be ruined. And we know that God's plans for us are for good. That we know that God, who has a great plan, he also has a plan that is for good. And this goes back to the famous verse in Jeremiah 29, 11, right, which we, we hang on to, right, Jeremiah 29, 11. God says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. We know that God can do all things, that none of his plans go thwarted, and we know that the plan he has for us is to prosper us, not to harm us, but to give us hope and a future. And I think the third part of this, too, gets into God has a longer-term view. 
You know, when we're in the midst of suffering, I get it, man. It's, it's hard. And it's easy to say, like, yeah, God has a great plan. But when you're in the midst of it and you have some pain, it, the, the thing you can hang on to is that when you have a longer-term view, an eternal view like God's, there's a longer-term perspective. It helps. Because right, what we're experiencing, the pain, is right now. But in the longer term, it works out. And that's what happens to Job, is that he's blessed two times, double over what he had before. And the third part is God is all-powerful. Our God is all-powerful. In Isaiah chapter 14, verse 27, Isaiah 14, 27 says, When the Lord all-powerful makes a plan, no one can stop it. When the Lord all-powerful makes a plan, no one can stop it. And so when you take all those three parts together, you guys, you know, I think the key takeaways to me were this. No matter how messed up your situation is, right now, maybe in the future, or was in the past, God can turn it around and use it for good. Just like Joseph being thrown into the cistern and then sold into slavery, that was pretty much a life sentence to misery. God used it for good to save many people who would have otherwise perished. And for for someone like Joseph to have the attitude and the behavior of the victor and not the victim is super important. And knowing that God has a plan for a good plan for the outcome for your life, you got to go back to the principle of 50-20, Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. No matter how messy your life is, God can and will turn it around for good. The second thing is God's plans are better than our plans and God has a longer term view. God always has a longer term view and he has plans for our lives. His plans for our lives are always good no matter what they might seem here and now, including whatever suffering we're going through today. And that's when we look at Job 42 and Jeremiah 21. And the third thing is we see that God is all powerful. Then when God makes a plan, it gets done. It's not like it may work uh, or there's a high probability it's going to work. It's a done deal with God. And once God has a plan, nothing can stop it from becoming a reality. And that's in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 27. So you might be thinking at this point, right? Okay, Dave, those Bible verses are great. God can and is willing to turn my suffering into good. And since he's all-powerful, there's no stopping whatever plan he has for my life. But does God follow through or what? And I know so many people who suffer. And, I, and when you look at something like, I don't know if you guys have wondered this, but if you look at some really bad, evil things that go on in the world, like genocide, and, and you think about like the Holocaust, six million people died. And you think about all like the atrocities that continue even today. There's genocide that's happening even to this very day. People die senselessly every year at the hands of very evil people. You wonder, how does an all-powerful God, an all-knowing God, an all-loving God allow these evil things to happen? And God gives us, when that question comes up, I believe, God gives us a promise that he will get us through this. No matter how bad and how evil the world seems to become, God promises that he will get us through it. Whatever suffering we're going through, 
God promises that he'll get us through it. In Isaiah chapter 43, verse 2, this is an important verse about the promise that God gives us, that we think the, the worst thing, the end is death. But God shows us that he gets us through it. He rises above death itself. And in, in the promise in Isaiah 43, God says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. God's promise to us is to get us through our suffering. But you note that in this, God doesn't say that he will not ex- you will not experience suffering and he, won't, he doesn't say it won't be painless. God doesn't say that when we experience pain and suffering, it will be quick either. However, with God's help, what he does promise is that he'll help us get through it. He'll help us get through the pain. He'll help us get through the suffering. And that is his promise. And I know it's easy enough, like I said, to say right now. But in those moments when you're, when you're in such pain, like that person I talked about at the beginning of this message, and you don't see a way out of that cistern or that pit of life that you're in, when you've hit rock bottom, you can cling on to the promise that God will get you through this. He will. And that's the whole point of this series that we're, we're talking about these next six weeks. <clears throat> and over the, 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 the following five weeks, we're going through different facets of how get, God will get us through this. He'll, he'll sh- we'll show you how God gets us through the suffering and a really, really bad situation. And it doesn't matter if we made bad decisions to get us there or someone unjustly put us there. God is ready and willing to take a bad situation and turn it into good. And we all go through really difficult and tough times, and we wonder where God is in all of our suffering. But I'm going to encourage you to just stick with us through this series. As we download more verses from the Bible and more teachings, it'll help us get through the dark times in our lives. And if you know people in your life today, like the one I talked about, who are just clinging on you know, by their fingernails, and they don't know what, what, how to get out of their pit, this is a series for them. And if they don't come to hear it, then this is the time for you to take good notes and share it with them. Okay? So if you stand in me, let's, uh, let's close in prayer. Um, as I think I told you, every, every time I prepare for the message, <clears throat> I actually um, share it with my son Joshua. <laughs> right? Josh is nine years old now. And the reason why I share it with Josh is because I, I want to make sure that if a nine-year-old can understand it, then okay, I think the message is okay. But if he goes, Dad, I have no idea what you said, then I rewrite the whole message again. And this is what Josh said today. I said, Josh, what was Dad's message about today? And he said, he goes, he goes hmm, when bad things happen, you still got to believe in God. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Father God, in, um, in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, you tell us, in all things, God works for good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And so God, I take that verse and all the verses we talked about this morning to heart, 
and I put it in the context of my son who says when bad things happen, we've got to keep believing in you. And I pray humbly. I trust, Lord, for everyone here today. And I, I, I want to ask everyone here today to, to pray this prayer that we trust in your lordship. That nothing that happens to us, that nothing that happens to me, God, hasn't first passed through your sovereignty first. And we thank you, Lord, that when we fall into the pit, whatever pit of life, that cistern in our life, that you promise to get us through it. And we ask, Lord, now that you would give us that attitude and behavior that we can walk as a victor, not as a victim. Because, God, you are for us. Who can stand against us? And we acknowledge, Lord, that your plans are better than our plans. And we pray that you will remind us in whatever current pain and suffering that we're going through, that you have a longer-term view, an eternal view, and we're going to trust in that. You, Father God, are all-powerful. And I ask right now, everyone, would you pray with me the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless. Thank you, Dave. Thank you so much. What a good word. Amen.